Hey everybody, welcome to Train Car Podcast. Uh, I forgot to record an intro, so I'm recording it now. Um, but on this week's episode, we have Alicia Wright. She's a poet, critic, and editor of the literary journal Annulet. Her works also appeared in the Paris Review, Ecotone, and Jubilant, among other places. She's a PhD candidate in English and Literary Arts at the University of Denver and a visiting assistant professor of English at the University of Iowa. Alicia and I talk a little bit about the MFA experience, uh, the Chinese spy balloon, and uh, kind of her process with writing, but also uh, what she brings to the table as an editor um, when she's putting together and curating these spaces like Annulet. So uh, thanks for listening. I hope you guys enjoy. Themselves a geometry, spatial nature. I have this sense. Good to see you. Where are you? Uh, where are you coming from? Calling in from? <laughs> Iowa City. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. How's how's Iowa this time of year? Well, it's actually it just got a it just got a little bit warmer today. So I took my first like I, I shouldn't admit this, but I took my first my dogs on a walk <laughs> like for the first time since I got back since January. So it's been really. Cute really cold <laughs> oh yeah for sure for sure i know i took uh me and jane were taking the dog on a walk yesterday and we pull up to the dog park and uh before we can even get out to really like start start getting the dog out this woman walks up to us and she's like oh you guys have already seen it haven't you and i was like uh no what and she goes the the chinese spy balloon is is passing over the carolinas today and uh yeah. I was like, oh, well, thanks. You know, I hadn't even got my dog out of the car or anything. <laughs> You're like, oh, this was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's, like the, it's like the craziest thing. That's what happens in Asheville. Like, people just assume you're tapped into stuff. And I'm like, I didn't even know where this balloon was. You know, this is, <laughs> this is insane. Yeah, I was wondering how it took hold in people's imagination. I don't really talk to many. I don't really have any chance encounters too, too much with people who would think that seems specific to Asheville. Yeah, yeah, for real. I mean, they were, and it was like, it was like super early in the morning too. It was like, not, I mean, for me, it was like eight o'clock on a Saturday and, you know, we were just walking around and, and they had already like probably done like a five mile hike or whatever. And they were just, they were ready to. They were ready to unload about this this balloon. Um, but yeah, there's been stuff online. I saw people saying like it's filled with anthrax or a new COVID vaccine or a new COVID uh, strain is coming. And I'm like, it, it's like 6,000 or 40,000 feet in the air. You know, like we're good. We're good, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. What a, yeah. Oh, man. I hadn't even. I just woke up from it. I just made a whole Chemex of copies. Most of them, I'm like not articulate. Yeah, so I'll hopefully like talk myself into articulacy. No, I'm the same. I'm the same way. I had a bunch of cabbage soup, so I'm just like, I'm like, this is this is my like 
end of the night. You're our second guest that we've had who has drank coffee through the night interviews too. So, but you're in Iowa, so it gives you a little bit of. You're an hour behind, right? Yes, yeah. it's an hour. Yeah, um, yeah. Kevin's not with us. He's in New York. Uh, so, yeah, he he is uh, enjoying the city life for a little yeah. bit. Um, but yeah, yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> Let me make sure I have everything. Sorry, let me make sure the sound is recorded correctly. I always fuck this up, but I think it's good. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, with the podcast, it's like there's a lot of things that I have. I don't have the foresight to see before we begin, and then whenever before I know it, it's too late. I've already yeah, messed like with the, the scary floor. part. Yeah. <laughs> um. <clears throat> well, some poetry news. Ann Boyer is the poetry editor of the New York Times. Did you see that? I did see that. Yeah. It's got to be a good yeah. thing, right? Yeah. I def- I For the first, well, that's not totally fair. But I thought to myself, ah, I can look forward to something in the form <laughs> of this. I, <laughs> I also, yeah. yeah, just, I feel like so late to the game. I didn't know she had a substack. And then everybody was really into her, her sort of like they're into her essay about the non-existence of the lyric essay mm. or her criticism saying that this thing doesn't actually exist yeah yeah being passed around and i was like that's yeah. pretty cool did it you read cool. did you read that no i i didn't yet but i yeah. subscribed and then it was like this subsect has been going for five or six years and i was like wow. oh i suddenly feel deeply deeply out of <laughs> Like, I really miss that. Yeah. 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 Now, now I'm subscribed. <laughs> yeah, she's fantastic. The um, <clears throat> the only book I've read by her is The the Undying, but mm. fantastic. Very sad. Very, uh, int- I can see why she would be interested in something that's not lyrical after that. Because it's interesting because she writes about something that's so, you know, cancer. Uh, and... <laughs> it gets like aestheticized a fair amount, I think in terms of like lyrics and stuff like that. So I can see her having some feelings about. Lyrics. Yeah. It's basically just like a misnomer. Like where does it mm-hmm. begin? If I, like, if I read the little excerpts, right. And was, you know, put together. And it's, I think she's also talking about Brian Dillon who, you know, has written the thinking about the lyric essay all the way home, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, Yeah. Yeah, I like it when she takes issue with things, which is most all of her books, actually. So that's <laughs> right. That's right. She also has that essay about saying no, right? That's mm-hmm. like, yeah, like the act of defiance. I like that. Mm-hmm. That one was a good one, too. <clears throat> but yeah, I thought that was funny because uh, someone, I think someone told me that uh, Ann Boyer was in as the poetry editor. And I was like, well, that's got to be a good thing i think it could only make that magazine better um i don't know who was the former editor do you know they tend maybe i think people like like victoria chang like mm. of some stature like do it but i my first thought was like wow, i can't believe she'd work with <laughs> yeah. it, it is interesting but, think... you know like someone i guess like if, if it's worth pulling back from the centrist edge or whatever it is like you know yeah. like maybe i don't know so. yeah i always have weird feelings about when people from 
I don't know, however you want to describe it, the outer fringe of whatever, like kind of infiltrates the the mainstream or like center group. I'm always like, I guess, uh, confused by it, but ultimately feel like it's a good thing, right? Like someone has to bear that cross. I don't necessarily (laughs) want to bear that cross, but you know, um, someone's got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's a, it is a funny thing that happens and yeah, I, I too, I don't think I could bear that amount of suspicion, <laughs> like publicly, you yeah. know, everyone's like, I don't know, like, I feel weird. Yeah. That would make me really sad and paranoid. So I... <laughs> yeah, well, hopes, uh, my, uh, my hope is that the New York times poetry gets a little bit better, but I can't say I read it every, uh, week or even really glance at it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I feel like every once in a while, someone in my orbit's like, I can't believe I have a poem in it. I'm like, I can't believe that either. And then yeah. <laughs> I'm good for them. So I guess yeah. I don't really, you know, the thing I don't, <laughs> I don't really care about like popularity factors or like being in truly huge magazines like that with like a wide reach. It's not, yeah, I don't set out to like, hope that my microphone extends over from like sea to shiny sea (laughs) i'm like i don't i don't care for that you know in fact i want the opposite in in a number of ways i want uh because i feel like the more uh poems you have like out there and bigger uh audience the more emails you get probably asking you to explain what you mean by certain things like and uh i don't know i feel like yeah i feel like I want the opposite of that. I just want three people to read what I have to say. And then that's about it. You know, maybe a little I thought, more. I don't know. I thought about being alone in a cave. That's what I thought about. <laughs> just you. Yeah. I think just that's fair. Me. I think that's fair. <laughs> um, I think that's fair. Probably the same people. I was looking at two different things. Probably the same people that are uh, reading New York Times poetry every week are the same people that are super hyped that the, that the Grammys now has a poetry, uh, uh category best spoken word poetry album is now a uh category saw it on npr so yeah yeah i you know i tend to like i actually do you remember that phase in poetry dialogue when like especially people that you didn't know all that well but they felt like they had like some kind of like trick they wanted to play on you by asking you what you thought about Amanda Gorman you remember this moment yeah 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 it felt like constantly and they were like haha gonna get you poetry snob (laughs) by saying you're gonna say you don't like it and then I get to walk away feeling that maybe maybe I had one over on the you know poet person and I would be like actually I think there's a space why why think about poetry in terms of scarcity like there's an abundance of different kinds and modes and audiences for it and you know why not operate from that it's not you know there's all I think there's a lot of scarcity thinking and because because of real factors but like if it expands you know I don't like again like I don't expect that's not the way that I operate but you know if it expands and it does it makes sense you know it makes sense like spoken word has a lot to do with like you know rap and music and makes sense to me 
Yeah, totally. I feel that. And I didn't I, say that you were trying to no, do that. No, like I'm, I'm, I'm in a cynical mood. I always am. So I just assume the worst. But I think you're right. I think ultimately, again, it, it's got to be a good thing. I mean, overall, um, yeah. yeah, there's not a there's not a shortage or no, there needs to kind of stop being that scarcity mindset. I think it just... But I mean, we're in a hyper competitive environment too. Everybody's competing for the same jobs or publications or whatever it feels like, um, you know? So I think that's where it comes from. I don't necessarily ascribe to that way of thinking, obviously, or I think I would probably be more <laughs> uh, motivated to do anything. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely hear you. I, in grad school, there were people would pull that same trick with Sylvia Plath. You'd be like, oh, really? what do you got? What do you think of Sylvia Plath? And uh, yeah, I was a hater for a long time. Oh, you were a hater of Plath. I, I mean, not a hater, but I was a skeptic, I guess. Oh, that's fine. Dog barks are welcome on the podcast yeah, she's, anytime. She's a real crazy little puppy. I'm going to put her in her running <laughs> away. This is very normal for me. Oh, no, same for me. <clears throat> I had to kick the dog out just a moment ago. So you're good. Um, I knew that would happen. Um, that's so funny. I just was teaching, like, I inherited a syllabus for a course, like a fixed syllabus, and Sylvia Plath is on it, which meant that I read her for the first time in ages, mm -hmm. and, and, and still, like, from my volume from undergrad, and I was kind of, I, I think I was in denial for up until that moment of like how deeply she did influence me you know? yeah 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 but I also think like you know when I tried to position her in class like the first like I was like we're not talking about we're not going to do the biographical thing exactly <laughs> but I was like if you have been interested in poetry for any amount of time in a serious way you've probably run into like the figure of Sylvia Plath as like a yeah um either sort of like a figure for like the presumed mental illness that you must have in order to want to write deeply of your interiority <laughs> or the fact that you're like by defaulting into making meaningless art like you must be crazy or like you know like, I don't know these are all the, the paranoid subjects I mean you said cynical but it's like it's always there for me in some way yeah yeah but I could also see, like, I don't know, maybe I think it's I think it's different now, like how people are thinking about her. Even though in like she's getting like there's a a big literary criticism award that the University of Iowa gives called like the like the Capote Award, and it's like maybe it, I think it's like thirty thousand dollars. I could be wrong, and they gave it to um I can't remember her name the bio the biographer who wrote Red Comet this year and I have to say when I was listening to her talk I was so disappointed and I think like the reason why I probably moved away from it is because I'm so just disappointed by <laughs> like yeah. all of the treatments you know like and even the people who read her for the wrong reasons and decide to like wear her work like a fashion you know mm -hmm. you yeah. like about it for sure yeah I, I think Sylvia Plath it's it's interesting because I think I think she's was kind of like a gateway drug for me in, in some instant, in some way, you know, like I, I found, I'm trying to think, I think I was like a, 
maybe a junior in high school whenever um read a little bit of the bell jar and stuff like that and is it is it junior year like american lit something like that but we were we were reading that and uh i was kind of into it because it was the first type of poetry that i'd ever read that was like uh strange weird surreal at moments but also like pretty raw and um it was also strangely like some of the most contemporary poetry I read in high school that a teacher gave me, you know, uh, where yeah. there wasn't like, you know, plows and shit in the poems, you know? So I was able to, I think like it then, and then I just kind of moved away from it. Um, and maybe it hits different now, you know, like Sylvia Plath hits different when you get older a little bit yeah. too. <laughs> like, not only, not only did I'm for, it's not like, oh, wow, I'm 30, and she was also 30 when she died, and that was an unimaginable age when I read her at 18. Uh, no, I'm much old. I'm, like, 34, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. oh, she left way, you know, at a time when I could understand, you know? <laughs> like, oh, man. Yeah, I think I'm less sort of, like, I think I, I think, like, what was so, I think maybe what's so attractive about it is that like it's somehow such a deeply like the rawness is such a deeply personal idiom but she's so it's not like there's like a sort of major conceit that will happen in the poem and then there's all these kind of like minor conceits that fill in the space which make the poem so much more complicated yeah right? for sure and, that, and it's because and that makes this like the co-presence of those makes this like all the things seem kind of like surreal and gives it sort of the sense of like a like a more like depth and textured interiority or and I think it's so appealing because also when you're like new to articulating your specifically raw painful feelings and you need to do it in a specific way like she's so good at that right but while also retaining some privacy and I think that's also what it like upsets people too like they're like she's the poet that like gives us everything and so why do I feel like I don't understand like I have to decode it <laughs> so they yeah 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 for sure for sure and also too like you mentioned the biographical parts of it like there's i feel like there's so much that people get like kind of lost into with just like the 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 myth making kind of you know uh i guess complicates the work that we're given in some instance in a way that maybe is uncharitable i think to the actual work in itself i don't know is that why yeah. you steered away from it too like the, in class the biographical stuff yeah because it's like then it's like it's like the whole lens on the like the color like it's like it's so a different colored lens changes and comes over the conversation and then everybody's yeah. like oh she died <laughs> yeah for oh, sure she died. and all, like everyone's like oh shit is this dangerous you know another yeah. way like china like <laughs> yeah like, and and every conversation too that I've had about her seems to also steer, like just bring in Ted Hughes as if he's just like, you know, kind of the figure that is equally as interesting. And he is dog shit to me. Like, yeah. I, you know, like not even close to being interesting at all. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think like it, it came up a little bit and I was like, yeah, especially the British, <laughs> like the British, <laughs> folks really 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 love Ted Hughes and I think that's why 
<laughs> they needed like the British poetry renaissance to come and replace like whatever crap. I mean, honestly, he's so bad. Like, yeah, yeah it's it, it is. Like, it's just, I can't, not for a moment have I been like, ah, yes, wow, what accomplished verse. But not even in the like, I'm reading things that are deliberately ornamental in a way that I have to just accept because it existed in the literary record. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, bad. I don't yeah. understand it. Yeah. yeah. And I it think he's. <laughs> it doesn't really contribute to the conversation in her context or any context really to me except but, that sometimes you can pick somebody who's really <laughs> like if you think you're like partner's really hot you might think their work is really good too <laughs> yeah that's true you could get blinded by it for sure for sure <laughs> like oh my god it's so good <laughs> <laughs> i haven't thought about it in that context but that was definitely probably what was happening for sure <laughs> <laughs> and yeah you, i feel like i saw that happen in the mfa <laughs> oh yeah any any time uh you spend enough time around poets that are uh emotionally vulnerable and sometimes romantically involved you see that kind of dynamic take over um yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure for sure that's hilarious uh where did you do your mfa did you do it in iowa or did, mm -hmm. you did yeah yeah that's cool. And you lived in Denver for a bit, too. Yeah, doing the PhD, nice. which I still haven't finished, but yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. nice. But you're living in Iowa, so you can, you're just working on your dissertation. Yeah. Sick. Yeah, it turns out it's way cheaper to run out of your stipend in Iowa City. <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> to run out of in Denver, yeah. Yeah, Denver and Asheville are kind of have some eerie uh well first of all there's a pipeline of people who moved to Asheville and then moved to Denver I don't know like it's happened to three of my friends um and and the pipeline also works uh in the opposite direction as well where people uh move from Denver to Asheville so it's kind of interesting um but I imagine it's like corporate brewery culture a little bit and uh you know that kind of draw mountains stuff like that yeah, I it's I've never lived in a more openly like aggressive, like just basic social zone and so like then especially the spaces that were populated by like the forerunner drivers and the like thousand dollar <laughs> like a piece like outdoor gear. Yeah. Like yeah. Um I did not and as like a someone who like actually does know how to like whitewater kayak and canoe and like has wilderness first aid training and like I was one of those people especially when I was younger and not once was I ever compelled to come anywhere close to that culture um, <laughs> you didn't want to like put on a four thousand dollar down vest and go drink like craft <laughs> IPAs and I guess I can't I don't think I've even ever touched one <laughs> like, I don't know what it even feels like so oh, that's... yeah so yeah. so you do kayak still or this is something you no longer do i can i yeah. feel like it's like riding a bike like yeah. i feel like i could yeah have you ever I been went, like like oh sorry go on oh no no go ahead <laughs> i was just gonna ask if you've ever had any gnarly like uh spills or if you've been held under because i always watch there's occasionally like kevin and i talk about our uh our uh video uh guilty pleasures i guess asmr like and things but one of the things i love to watch is like big wave surfing and uh i'll i'll throw on a video but lately in my since i've been watching those for a while they'll show me like some gnarly kayak uh like 
route down a waterfall and these people like stay underwater for like an ungodly amount of time where i'm like this person is not gonna surface and they'll come like up and just like i don't understand but i was just gonna ask if you had any close calls yeah i've never done any of the i mean it's it's actually a real shame that i've never done any of the big water like out west i always like i like would do like training on like at the okoe center and stuff and so that was like as bit in terms of like big water but like mm -hmm. sort of the more intricate like rivers and stuff i mean i'd be on like the french broad right around yeah yeah um and the okoe mostly um no i think like i think I had one incident where I had to swim like back when I was a teenager and I was like really confident. And then like, it was like the first rapid and I, not, it was nothing special. It was just nothing special. I just like hit it the wrong way and like, couldn't roll up. And like, it was the first time that that happened and it was really embarrassing. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like with another group of like 15 year old girls or whatever. And then I kind of like vowed to myself, I was like, I'm never swimming again. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought I have it. I've like managed to get through like doing it then and like training like all these girls at the summer camp without ever swimming. And then like the stakes for at least for the <laughs> ego are high when you're like the leader. <laughs> you know because you don't want to fuck up because then oh i don't know about cursing but yeah then like then you have like 15 terrified 16 year old girls who are going after you you know <laughs> or yeah. like you're coming at the end like sweeping <laughs> and they're all watching you and if they all did it and then you mess up <laughs> that's also embarrassing so yeah no i don't think i've ever one time i did like somebody flipped and like just got real unlucky and like hit her mouth on a rock and when she rolled up like as she came up like I just saw the streak of like total red in her mouth and coming down her neck and I was right behind her and I was like <gasps> you know oh my god <laughs> you know <laughs> but yeah. it didn't have to be, but <laughs> as someone who has lost both his front teeth and also can't swim that is terrifying yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I lost my teeth playing basketball, but that was oh, really? I couldn't only imagine that on a on a rock. Yeah, I was like, uh, I was playing like pickup basketball in college, and like this, I was guarding this guy, and he like, like I don't know, made this move, and I like reached in for the ball, and his forehead like flattened oh. my uh, front teeth. Yeah, mm. I have teeth trauma about that for sure. <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> No, it's okay. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm since healed a little bit. Uh, but, but it was no shit. Like three, honestly, it was like seven years of just like crazy dental work. And yeah, like no, it's actually pills. a really terrible thing to have happen. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. It really does suck. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean the, the, the culture of, of Asheville, like I've been, I've been here about about two years now and okay. it, it's it's kind of i don't know in any growing city where like there's mountains and there's outdoor people and there's breweries it's like the the type of people that are that are kind of drawn to this area and a lot of tourists like that's the big thing i don't know does denver get a lot of tourism too yeah it's mostly contained in the downtown area or like in the like you know like foothills to mountains like it wasn't really where i was although yeah i don't know 
there's definitely a lot of like pot tourism too and that that can yeah. be anywhere <laughs> for sure that can be anywhere i forgot about that yeah yeah, yeah. um that's definitely that's definitely a factor um there too but you're someone who's like inspired a lot by the place i i, I mean i don't want to make any grand assumption there okay. too but it seems like reading your work and talking with you briefly and things like that it seems like you're pretty um inspired by the place that you're you're at um at that given time and also maybe like your roots uh in georgia right northern georgia mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. correct yeah, yeah yeah where where at exactly again rome rome nice <laughs> Very cool. I don't. Oh, actually, I do know Rome because you all have a um, minor league baseball team, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's so, right. So that's how I know that. And uh, because I'm a big, big fan of minor league baseball now that I live in a city with a minor league baseball team. So I go to them. But there, I guess they play Asheville quite a bit. But um, yeah, I was just going to wind up to ask some sort of question about like how you how I don't, I don't even remember how um place has factored into your work now that you're like maybe have split identities between denver and iowa city i don't know if that's a fair assumption i think i have a totally repressed denver identity I still <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought they were they were very solitary years with the exception of like my good friends that i made like i didn't really make much effort to like ingratiate myself into the the world of Denver, I definitely felt like, I definitely, I never really lived in a place that I deeply felt wasn't a match for me in any, in any way, like mm -hmm. in any way. Um, yeah, which was kind of a shock. To that me. can be tough too. I mean, yeah. I can't say that I've experienced that long term, but I definitely like my first year in grad school, like living in a totally different climate around just like different types of people that, you know, being from the hills of uh, where I'm from it's like I was exposed to all different things that I never thought that I would have to encounter face to face in some ways um but yeah that can be hard for sure yeah the west was never like I was like up and down the eastern seaboard for college and then in the midwest and I was like oh the midwest weird for grad school and then yeah I just never pictured myself in the west at all and it's so funny because like the thing I think the easiest distinction is like, I actually feel vast, like existential terror when I look out at like huge mountains with little, very few trees and like people I know who are from there, right? Are like, um, and at least you can see who's coming to get you, like <laughs> coming, <laughs> like, you know, like you can see him coming. <laughs> and that's somehow supposed like, to ease the existential dread because you can somehow identify it. Yeah, that's see him coming, like two away or something. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I would rather be like hiding in the forest from a I'm a woodland creature. Like I would rather be hiding, yeah, and not be found. And then I could hear her when they were nearby. You know, anyway. So like imagining yeah. being like attacked by a creature in the <laughs> in the <laughs> night or something. Yeah. Um yeah. I think it I think I, I didn't end up writing anything about 
like my surround in Denver. I did try to write <laughs> what I've been calling up until today. I guess I can't call it this anymore. A lyric essay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> canceled. About, it's canceled. Over, it's, yeah. We can't do it. Well. And I like if Ann Boyer says it's I can't do it, then I'm probably gonna. You can it. do it. It'll just <laughs> never be published in the New York Times. Uh, so, but it you will can just do never it. be published. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, where I was trying to think about, like, yeah, I was trying to think about how I was responding to that. And I think I think I wrote about going to the Great Sand Dunes um, National Park and, like, sleeping out there. And that was amazing. And, like, I'd never seen, like, a moon glow, like, like on these like, gigantic dunes. It just glowed. They were glowing blue, you know? Wow. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, so I guess... Yeah, just in terms of like acquiring experiences like that, like I guess it's made its way into my writing, but I I still like even in like what I write critically about and even like in the poems, I think I have a pretty firm grip on things taking place like in the southeast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's really cool. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting too because well, part of the, the 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 complexity of places like that is just like on one hand it's extremely beautiful and obviously people visit these places for either the weed or because it's beautiful right and uh but but it also creates a weird tension at least for me um where it's like a place that you live and other people only pass through uh it it makes it kind of take on a different kind of emotion uh for me personally uh just speaking about Asheville I don't know about Denver but um yeah that that's always like it's almost like haunted in that in that aspect by by like capital ventures or money making ideas or uh even some sort of commodifying of the nat and natural spaces that these places exist in you know yeah, we'll put in some kind of like corporate retreat nearby. But that, I, especially for Western North Carolina, that pattern of like tourism and like high volume summer seasons, and that's been going on for like a hundred years. Yeah, for sure. People from Atlanta would have been coming up and they're only getting worse. And they're so, I don't know, honestly, maybe I have more annoyance for the people from Atlanta just in general. I was born there, so I feel like I could be like, get out you know yeah. <laughs> yeah there there's a whole new like age group and broader like sort of like wealthy dem like demographic that's mm -hmm. figuring out western north carolina is right there they don't have to fly out to aspen like yeah <laughs> exactly yeah they can buy these huge you know mountain mansions and yeah it's weird yeah. too. Um, like Kev it's something Kevin and I talked about on our previous episode, but just like he was talking about it in terms of where he lives in West Virginia and kind of like the legacy of coal and that kind of in, uh, extraction mindset and how that is still applied to the larger region too, just in tourism. And it's really, it's really a complicated kind of, um, Part. I don't want the podcast to turn into just me bitching about Asheville, but sometimes it needs to be, it needs to be, uh, said, but, um, yeah, it has been going on for so long. Like mm -hmm. people from New York too, especially here. 
Um, oh, yeah, there was, really I knew it was kind of worried. I was worried for Asheville when I saw they had one of those like 36 hours <laughs> columns being the time. And <laughs> oh, I was like, God. oh no. <laughs> oh, well, like yeah. whatever restaurant don't, they put in there, don't plan on going to ever again because you'll never get a fucking. <laughs> that happens. I, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> did you come to Asheville a bit, like being from Northern Georgia? Or do you consider it nor northern Georgia, Rome? Yeah, Rome. Rome is northwest Georgia. It's thirty okay. minutes from Alabama, an hour from Tennessee, and there's really it's deliberately not on seventy five. Like there's sort of like a family myth that for whatever my grandfather was a lawyer, and I don't know why he would have been involved in this. But when they were building seventy five, apparently he was someone in town who said don't let it come through Rome like it, it will ruin the small town texture so now I mean now you do have to kind of work to get there yeah <laughs> yeah um it's technically in the Boytons, but you know it's more the rolling foothills mm -hmm. for sure <laughs> yeah I've never I mean you know technically it's like I guess I do because I feel like there's a lot of you know whether or not I feel like I kind of have to like fight to get to participate in the idea of like belonging in Appalachian culture you know, like, because it is a little bit, because I'm like, don't forget, don't forget, actually, the Appalachians live, they end in um, Alabama, they, like, they go all the way across, like. I, I think it, I think it's, I think it's Appalachia, for sure. I mean, um, yeah, for sure, for sure. Right, right. I, I, I didn't have, like, the farming, I didn't have the exact same, you know, like, it doesn't lay out cleanly in terms of like the like the economic histories that shape our sense of like sort of regional culture right in the mm -hmm. south. what was yeah. the big industry in rome back in the day you know i i think there were textile mills right mm -hmm. um, yeah i think it was a textile mill yeah place. yeah that carries over too i mean that was that's definitely like here you know um especially as you kind of get uh, more eastern um like marion area and like closer to like charlotte um concord area for sure like hickory uh yeah so i mean yeah in terms of like proper coal country or whatever n not me either i guess kevin kind of subsumes that identity um for the podcast but uh yeah it is interesting that's cool textile mills are so my grandmother uh worked in a textile mill for a little bit but it is interesting yeah. how that operates on the same kind of you know uh same kind of function of labor as as coal and just mm -hmm. anything that really drove drove small town business back then yeah like mechanized like interactions with yeah different forms of mechanized precarity yeah yeah i think it was like denim there's a whole different i mean there's a number of i think in the 19th century there was like a big iron making for that an ancestor of mine had that was destroyed in the civil war Whoa. <laughs> it was a whole town it was a whole town yeah um and he lost everything good for him which i agree yeah. with yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah and there's like this it, there's like the one remnant of it is like it's sort it's the strangest like structure it's kind of like oblong with like a flat i don't even know like it slopes it's like a 
rectangle that has these sloping sides in with a flat top and then a triangle in the middle of it and it's just made of stone and it just like hangs out there getting grown over <laughs> that's the only thing that's left wow. it. so it's definitely i think the region has been like experiment or rum besides farming has been sort of like people have experimented with other types of like like successful economic ventures <laughs> yeah. in it it has a little bit of everything yeah but, for sure you ever mm -hmm. tell people you're just from rome and let them guess like oh i'm just just from rome yeah i did i liked doing i liked doing that <laughs> it is a strange it's so it's a strange name for <laughs> a place and there's yeah and it's extremely religious but and there is like a catholic presence kind of in rome for sure but... yeah i was gonna ask about that i was wondering because i think one of the big things that i think um maybe ties Appalachia together throughout the region is kind of that, especially in the Southern part, right? Mm -hmm. um, were you raised religious too? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was. I, yeah, I don't really, I don't, I don't have the same, I have a much like gentler, like story in terms of, I think for most people like extracting themselves out of that kind of thinking is like, one of the first like formative like violences, not that they're doing the violence themselves, but how they experience like an ejection or a reaction. Mm -hmm. And it's like so central to the story of who they are, right? Yeah. And it continues to be. And mine really isn't, mine really isn't. It was never like a realization. I was in, I went to the Episcopal church, which was like also the church where like the college professors in town went and it wasn't nearly as like I just had a friend a friend who lived across the street from me who's like wonderful and great we were close when we were little but then we kind of grew apart and we saw each other in a coffee shop over Christmas and she was like kind of apologized in this indirect way because she said I had to stop when I was a teenager it was her she's like when I was a teenager I stopped being friends with people that I didn't think loved Jesus enough and like kind of like looked at me and I was like oh oh wow okay like actually that fills in this you know tiny little hole like I forgot existed you know um but I feel like I watched I feel like I watched a lot of people radicalize around me um and the church that I went to wasn't particularly fundamental in that way yeah because yeah. it still like had a broader because it like the Baptist kids like had a network but it was like somehow more local or something and the episcopal kids would always just like go to atlanta and atlanta was like this urban space right it was like kind of different so yeah yeah i felt like i just i always i always had a distaste for that but yeah and i think like there was also like a radical sort of evangelical group that started like targeting people in my school like <laughs> like trying to convert little kids and like oh, yeah. showing up with pizza and like doing all that stuff and i was like what the fuck like they can't do this so it kind of made a little punk of me a little religious punk of me <laughs> <laughs> yes, <you know. laughs> oh my yeah. gosh that's hilarious yeah. that reminds me of uh yeah we had something similar in my high school we had um young life people come in oh, yeah. i mean it what they weren't like I, I wouldn't say uh you know necessarily radical or targeting in that sense but they did bring pizza and they did like wear chacos and tie-dye and you know like uh, kind of blend in with uh 
you know, whatever the contemporary culture, hip culture at the time was, they definitely did not look like any of the, the church going people that I was used to seeing. Like I was raised free will Baptist. So, um, that, that was like, it was pretty fundamental in that sense. Like, you know, you had to wear very nice clothes. You couldn't wear shorts to church thing, like, like, like kind of, you know, those, uh, even if they were like unspoken rules or whatever, but, uh, but when I, I saw the, up. Oh, sorry. What? I said, I would, I always got dressed up and I looked horrible. Just, it was like, <laughs> none of the clothes ever fit, but I was trying to be formal. It just like, oh, yeah. like never looked cool. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when I saw the young life guys come in, I was like, oh man, like maybe I'll, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll uh, see what these guys are about. And then they would sit at our lunch table and like, talk to us and we would like they would like talk to us about hip-hop for a little bit and then they'd be like you know what jesus says about lil wayne don't you and we were like no what does jesus say and then like really like control the control the the course of the conversation like that that is bananas yeah how insidious yeah the only coffee shop in rome is run by young life people and I just pretend like and there are meetings that are happening like I all the time in there and even when I walk in and I see people reading I'm like no oh, they're reading and I'm like I'm not trying to be what they're reading you know I'm just like oh look at this how nice yeah it does feel nice yeah. for sure <laughs> even if they are reading about what Jesus says about Lil Wayne or something yeah it's so it's so creepy friendly. I mean, we know what it is, right? But it's just yeah. I do think it's interesting too because um, you mentioned that part about it being like you know you having like a gentle kind of break from it. I think that's I think that's similar how I would describe it too. I mean, for me, even though I grew up in a pretty conservative like you know environment, obviously with it, it is. I don't know, maybe it's just me getting older and having to like come to peace with uh, various parts of uh, everything. But I, I mean, there were obviously some really nasty things that happened um, and some hurtful shit that happened at the church and the church that I was a part of. But ultimately, like I totally it's hard to get too upset about that stuff for me. You know, like I don't know if it's just having a bunch of friends and stuff who are also indoctrinated in similar ways growing up and, and stuff like that. And me kind of, uh, coming to terms with it, but it's also like, I just, I feel like the, having that kind of animosity towards those types of people really hasn't, didn't get me anything when I did have it when I was younger and really was like angry at these people for thinking certain things, you know? And so I try not to get too <laughs> bent out of shape about people, especially where I'm from, you know, mm-hmm. like really getting involved in some aspect of community in that in that way. Yeah, I definitely think. Yeah, there's different. I don't know. It's. I was trying to sort of puzzle this out, just thinking about because I would I, I go home kind of often. Not, I mean, I don't know. I didn't go home from almost at all last year, but I try to go home like two or three times a year from wherever I'm at if I'm not living there and haven't but I was like it's 
and I often think about because people love to be like, oh, like Rome's got a good downtown now. Like, <laughs> like they're always like, oh, it's on the up, like stuff's happening. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's good. You know? <laughs> oh, cool. Good that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, mm, sometimes I think the spaces are deliberately set up to take up all the possible cultural real estate or like cultural air you know or like there's mm -hmm. a particularly like the young life people that want us to do there's something about like also the class there's a cl class aspirational thing too like to young life I think because there's yeah. like this promise of economic stability if you participate in life this way attached to it you know yeah that's a big part of it uh <laughs> for sure and yeah which is different from I think people finding community in just like in a church space like this sort of like fairer structure of that or sort of like participation with each other in that way yeah for yeah. sure and yeah. and and to yeah just like literally i watch people um and people i knew who like went to church on sunday who were definitely living paycheck to paycheck and like really struggling but thought mm -hmm. that given a little bit an offering would somehow result transpire magically into an abundance of blessings and that is pretty you know disgusting from that uh to watch yeah yeah it, it is um for sure i mean there's so many stories like um there's so i'll tell you a little bit i'm trying to think uh how i want to say it but there was this um pastor at our church who um i think i was i was like younger maybe 16 and um so i was like at my point where i was kind of like i don't really want to go to this church i want to go to the cool church where they play rock and roll music like across oh, town you know yeah, yeah 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 so i was <laughs> i was kind of at that moment but um this the pastor like was like oh i feel like a calling from god to leave um the church and go back to my hometown in tennessee and pastor a church there um and you know was doing really well for himself like drove a really nice car uh lived in the parsonage parsonage which was paid for by the congregation or something in, in that matter and he ended up like just saying you know if you can give some money to me to help this transition please do it and the church had a decent amount of it was like three counties of people who came to this church and so there was a decent mm -hmm. concentration of of money there generational wealth too because the church mm -hmm. has been there for a long time and some of the primary stakeholders family members were still there you know shit mm -hmm. like that and so anyway he ends up like raising a ton of money uh to to go on this trip including like just random shit like gas gift cards and stuff like that you know whatever people could give and then like a couple of weeks go by and he's like oh i'm actually like i'm staying put here like uh god has different plans and didn't give any of the money back or anything and i remember <laughs> that moment so clearly as just being like this fucker you know like at that point it was so the financial motivation behind it all just like became crystal clear to me as a 16 year old at that point i was like oh i see what this guy's doing now whoa that takes uh 
that takes some real disrespect and some guts, you know. <laughs> to yeah. Do. And the immediate corollary I thought is when people go like to do like leverage, they go do interviews at other universities to leverage their offer. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. That's what he did. Like, <laughs> I got a better offer. Yeah, yeah. It was almost like some some like political fundraising scheme he'd also been like have i don't know like it 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 definitely that's was bald. like that is baldly that is baldly fucked <laughs> <laughs> and it is true like uh people who have the least really do give the most yeah. um, in those aspects um so yeah that was hard to watch i think that was like my primary disenchantment with the whole um with the whole ordeal you know because yeah, if it's really rooted in like support and like actual support and actual caretaking and then for some and then people to like and like trust too, like to like say when you need something yeah right because there's often like so much shame around that and yeah for him to just do that yeah that would make <laughs> me really upset too <laughs> yeah yeah uh but that guy has since left the church and now is like super fucking skinny and jacked and now is like i don't know what he's trying to do uh he's yeah, he's just yeah. he's he's probably uh <laughs> still using those gas cards i imagine to get from a to b <laughs> but i don't know i don't know um are you reading anything good lately rough transition there but i gotta stop talking about church or i'll get mad <laughs> oh man am i reading anything good oh i feel like i'm in i'm sort of in that stage where i have just like 50 feelers that are touching 50 books <laughs> and like i keep sort of like i'm like a bee and i keep just kind of like like sort of visiting each of them until something like sticks mm -hmm. for me yeah yeah i'm looking at my table i think yeah. reading linearly is overrated i do what you do i don't I, and and but it has dire consequences too because you know you might never finish that book and then it might be the the answer at trivia night and you just don't know because you haven't gotten to that part of the book uh, <laughs> yeah i wish that some of the things that i read were ever on the menu at <laughs> Night. I just said that's where I am least helpful. <laughs> yeah. I think what what really compelled me last fall I was reading the um Elizabeth Hardwick and Robert Lowell letters. <gasps> I loved that. And I have been just like on and again and off again over the past year, just like deeply into Elizabeth Hardwick. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. is it about her? Um there is, well, okay, I, I think she just allows the full force of her in, like intellectual intensity to possess, like, to possess the work, like, totally and fully, and I feel like so much of, like, even, like, critical writing now is, like, either, like, comes to you in, like, highly regulated academic language, or, like, tries to be spare and reticent, or pulls its punches or you know it never like very rarely is there something that just like allows itself to fully inhabit like the intensity of its reactions and its tastes and even if it's wrong or even you know like it's yeah. wrong but whatever um yeah 
yeah it's just so intense and you really have to like go into a different gear you know in your mind to revisit it so totally yeah. Yeah, yeah that's that's awesome it does feel like every time you read critical work some of the people are drawn from the same like i don't know 100 words that they all have to use and kind of like word bank um so to have that kind of freshness is probably really nice i'm yeah that's cool yeah and it's, it's like it's fresh but it's like very deep flavor mm -hmm. <laughs> like that has been cooking it has been cooking for a long time by the time <laughs> yeah. it up, like, like i think in a hard work essay for sure yeah yeah yeah, just like reading linearly overrated, the payoff of uh, meaning is also, I think, overrated. Like, sometimes that just needs to, like, you just need to let that stew for a while. And then, you know, I think yeah. I think some of the some of my favorite work is like that, honestly, where um, like I have this friend also who says that um, you can tell if a, a movie is good after you watch it, if you think about it like the next day. And if it passes the next day test, uh, then it's probably a good movie. But if, if you don't remember it the next day, it's pretty forgettable, um, which doesn't mean it's bad, but it maybe just has that kind of function. And I feel the same way with some of the stuff that I like to read as well. Yeah, yeah, it would be nice to, yeah. I finally read also, I I, think I went to just like a mid-century, speaking of Sylvia Plath, maybe I was in the right place to read her work this time around, but I think like, yeah, particularly like over the past year, I kind of went through a mid-century lady kick for what I like, I don't know why, like novels, which I also hadn't really read with much seriousness since I left this one kind of publishing job I had to come to the workshop <laughs> in New York. Yeah. And I read The Transit of Venus for the first time by Shirley Hazard. And it also has that same like intensity and like sticky, like quality to the language and uh i someone told me that she revised every page of that novel 20 times and when i heard that i was like i'm dead <laughs> like, yeah aesthetically i have been murdered like that is like the most beautiful thing i for whatever and i don't even revise my own work at all not at all <laughs> really <laughs> like nope <laughs> don't touch it it's great it just is that way yeah because i stew i also stew for a long time or i let things like sit for a long time before I like finally like sit down and have it happen but yeah when I heard yeah I just and I, you could feel it that it's so lapidary like it's just so and, it, and even to the even when it's like kind of overworked like when it's like I don't know why I'm reaching for food <laughs> but you know like meringue like you can sort of like overwork it where it's yeah. too stiff like there are some moments like that in the transit of use but I don't care because it's like still like so um yeah high saturation like high octane like, yeah 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 i think yeah. <laughs> i hear things like that and i immediately think like when i hear someone revises their stuff x number of times i'm like oh wow i am not a writer <laughs> at all you know like <laughs> i i i don't have that in me under any circumstances you know so um that's fascinating but you don't revise your work at all tell me more about that no no because i think for a long time i went because I know that like my first reaction in language to the feeling or the thing I'm trying to express will be the clearest because it is such like a particular like accumulation of like thought and feeling up until the moment at which I need to write it 
Mm -hmm. So like if I do anything that it tends to, it tends to move it away from its sort of like integral movement as like a brain expression. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. That's awesome. Um, I haven't made anything better. Do you ever. find, <laughs> do you find yourself like reworking stuff um, like in your brain ahead of time? Um, no, I don't let myself like, okay. I don't let myself like, have the line and like sit with the line and then put the next line like there's something that feels like and maybe I just don't understand time yet <laughs> and like the the fact <laughs> the fact that like others can't tell how you're experiencing time in the poem but that's also to me part of the experience or something that I want anyway I want someone to experience a whole intense lyric moment <laughs> lyric. but like you know like yeah by that, I mean, like, the mouth opens for expression and then it closes. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not using, I'm not fast and loose with that one at this moment, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, like, I want it to kind of be like a torrent and then it stops, you know? And that's what it was. Like, that was the shape of the wave. Yeah. Wow. That's so fascinating. I love that. Yeah, it's like a, it's almost like, yeah, directors, you know, like, the first take is the more authentic, the most authentic take and, you know, trying to get everything uh, right. Or even if you don't get it right, the first take, it's still somehow something that you'll never be able to replicate, regardless of the quality of it. Maybe that's not the purpose of it. You know, um, yeah. I think that's. Yeah, smart. yeah I'm, I, for, I was going to say, like, I'm not there to, like, make it the best possible aesthetic success, like, because for a long and I'm like, that's also wild because, like. I also really care about like even like the shapes of the letters, you know, which is like and that's like untrackable and there's no clear theory to why I like the way the letters are looking next to each other. <laughs> you know, I just like them that way. You know, yeah. as, as they happen. Or I'm sure there is like some lexical complication there or something, but yeah. Uh, but I do I I yeah, uh, I think there is something about that sort of I guess it's like a spasm. I don't know. <laughs> I was interested in like look I was like interested in I think especially I don't know what I think about this now because I feel like I'm in a moment where I wanted for a long time to become a different kind of writer especially in Denver from what the kind of or poet that I had been because I was like my life will be easier if I'm more legible because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm often like everyone often people will say to me this is really complicated or like I don't understand this or like this yeah. is so intellectual and I'm like that makes me really sad but like okay you know I don't know like there it is you know you can yeah I like to be taught how to read a poem as I'm reading it I'm not there to have to possess the knowledge before I read it that doesn't seem like a useful exercise to me so that's yeah. like how I like to I write for that too where I'm like well someone will just learn the rules as it's happening and i'm making them explicit because i'm being open about the process of it too yeah yeah, yeah. um but I'm i love also that that's great yeah sorry i'm just yeah I, th <laughs> I think that's i think that's fantastic i think one of the things well i also relate because especially when i was in grad school and uh just kind of surrounded by I won't say the people there because that's not fair, but especially the professors that I had and some of the teachers and, and readers of my work and the feedback I was getting, it did feel like if I, if I just adapted to this mode, it would probably make my life easier and 
in some instance, um, mm -hmm. whether it be material or like actually getting a book or financial or whatever it would be. Um, mm -hmm. but, but, uh, yeah, I find now it's more so I don't care about any of that shit outside of that context, you know, like it really was the context of the space that I was in and what voices I was inviting in that kind of dictated what I thought about my own, what I, what I was capable of doing or what I could do even, you know? Yeah. That's sort of like, I, there are times when that can become like an overbearing and like problem of the type of experience of the MFA. But I think like when it's not doing that to people or like being oppressive or like really interfering with how people are trying to develop individually, like that sort of like, collective thinking around like what's possible for someone's work even if you're like no thank you um that's not for me like <laughs> and like yeah that I think like when people ask like why when I get an MFA or whatever like or when I listen to other people have talk about their experience in this in that space in particular I'm like oh like that sort of communitarian like we're all working on this like project of becoming whatever like a slightly more professional poet might be whatever that means for us or however we feel like we want to take it how far we want to take it you know like that can be the positive of it because yeah. you get to see all these sort of like theorized like different outcomes for yourself like it's like looking <laughs> like you know what I mean yeah, like, totally. like, <laughs> That can be good, but I did, yeah, I definitely feel like if it's not handled well or if there's sort of this hegemonic sort of like need to brand stamp like an institution's poets mm -hmm. as like having the sort of say, and I think maybe it's even unconscious, like I think it's unconscious, but I'm not totally sure. Um, programs have like different flavors or like aesthetic preferences and yeah. they can pressure their poets to become that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I would say at my school, it was definitely unconscious, but I can imagine there being some sort of brand stamp out of, you know, specific programs. But it, the biggest thing that I enjoyed in MFA was just having the time to do that. I, I don't think I had really like recognized it at the time because I was pretty young whenever I did it. Like I went straight from undergrad and really? yeah. Oh yeah. So, so I was still also like, you know, trying to learn what it was like to be, you know, in my mid twenties, you know, along with also trying to figure out what kind of poems I wanted to write. And, and, and at the time, you, you know, that was just a strange experiment altogether, you know, for me, um, and, and my, my kind of personhood, but having the time to do that was actually really really nice and something i know i'll never get back now <laughs> as i constantly try to make time to do it but uh you've almost convinced me into stop uh or into quit uh stopping revising my work uh, altogether so <laughs> oh no <laughs> the thing about that is like the onus is on you to just be excellent like it's yeah. like like just to like you 
You can't like half ass and be like, well, I can't, I wrote my poem and so I'm the poem. Like you have to like be good, you know, yeah. like all the time, just like in case like it happens, which is also kind of an unbearable way to be <laughs> for everyone and for you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hold on. I, and then you run out of the room for a quick moment. Uh, like, please leave me alone. No one speak. Yeah, no. the, the lyric <laughs> mouth is opening. I must tend to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be so terrible like <laughs> although i definitely don't like for anyone to be like near me like i definitely like i work at night under the <laughs> like cover of extreme darkness and solitude yeah same i mean <laughs> you see it's dark yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but since you like you do your fair amount of editing or or at least curating you know with annulet and stuff like that like what kind of poems are you drawn to recently recently or also just like as you think about like curating an online space um and uh you know a pretty vast one too i'll say like there's always a lot of folks in annulet too which i really like uh you know and uh uh and and everything is like like i see traces and threads but i also see some uh pretty unique differences too so what do you th what's your thought process as you kind of think about curating that so it's funny because i'll say like a number of different con contradicting things about it so my first thought is that i actually try to put my exact personal preferences like aside like i try to read really objectively um but still with this notion of like is my brain still like, am I still thinking about how this works? I think my one criterion is like, at what, like, it does actually, and it can, there can be like examples of like delay or like, cause there, I'll even settle for like one weird moment too, where I'm like, I didn't see that coming, but admit, but like it totally works now. But as long as I'm like, just trying to understand it and I can feel myself trying to understand it like how it's operating as I read it, then that's like uh, something I read for. Yeah, um, stylistically, there probably is a bit, like I'm probably not just gonna go with it. I mean, I say this now, but I could, I'm sure there are examples to the contrary, but like, I'm, I'm probably not just gonna take like a straightforward like story narrative poem that like contains like a single traumatic event and I was forever changed because mm -hmm. that's a formula you know like right. and that's like yeah I'm probably not gonna do that yeah um so I don't actually I don't actually try to build anything too intentional with it it probably just a reflexive phase of my reading and also like sometimes because it's just me and there's some some real disadvantages to that like sometimes I can take a long time to respond to things but sometimes I read something and I I hate it in the moment and then I return to it <laughs> this is terrible in case anyone <laughs> has had this experience with me I didn't hate your poem I did <laughs> like <laughs> like and even if I did like that's better than being bored you know like so <laughs> yeah I'll take uh, it yeah for sure. <laughs> it didn't happen with you so like <laughs> But I'll, I'll come back to it like in a month and I'm a different reader for it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and there's some, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I, I never really, 
I haven't thought about that just because, um, you know, I haven't, I've never edited anything or curated a space Mm -hmm. like that, but yeah, especially if it's just you doing it. Yeah. Your own kind of everything that you bring to looking at that submission at that moment definitely informs it, you know, um, Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't want to. It's funny because I also started Annuit, so I did because I didn't want to have to answer to anyone. So as I say, like it's not about me. I'm like I just don't like I want to be the one making decisions about how this thing looks and feels. <laughs> like I don't actually like want to have to compromise because <laughs> I feel like I did a lot of that. Or like when I would read for magazines, I would come across work and I'd be like, I know that like who I'm reading for, like various editors would like this. I don't like it, but I know that they would like it. And that's my job, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a weird kind of space to be in, I imagine, you know, it's like you're, yeah, your, your duty is very much outlined at that point. Um, there, yeah. there were, there were people who, or there are people I know who have read for magazines and feel that, that way too, that they're, somehow uh and there's an unspoken expectation of like upholding some sort of aesthetic that they either or that they just subscribe to just by being you know there at that magazine at the time but you don't have to deal with that that's great <laughs> whatever she thinks like <laughs> what is she gonna think i don't know like <laughs> but for, i've never had this moment I've never had the moment when I've gone back and looked to the work and this and I've been like, oh, I made a mistake. Like I've never had that. Yeah. Um, when that that feels that feels really good, you know, because I met like I imagine there's some things that I felt like that happened to me in different instances. And I was like, ooh, maybe I didn't like I did, I feel like I learned a lot with Denver Quarterly. Like, yeah, I learned a lot with Denver Quarterly. And that is sort of the skill set from which I spun this sort of idea for myself yeah totally i'm (laughs) a big i'm a big fan of people who uh you know cut their teeth institutionally and then break out indie after (laughs) like you have so yeah that's awesome uh i love that i too am uh recording this on a platform that i do not pay for so uh (laughs) there's there's something maybe maybe there's some similarities there too uh yeah but uh yeah that's sick that's really cool um annual it's great it's beautiful um i hope people definitely check it out too because i will link it in the show notes as well um yeah for sure um i was gonna ask too like um are you what do you got working what are you working on now are you doing more because you write critically critically and creatively or maybe they're both the same thing uh to some people as well but what are you working on now? Anything fun? Anything you're excited about? Oh, um, I've been saying this for years, but I'm going to finish an article on Ammons, like a short one at some point. Aaron Ammons, right? Yeah, and nice. It's like he is actually, he is a Southern poet and it's mm-hmm. important to consider that in terms of his work, but also for understanding how poetry function with regard to like understanding the like ecology of his particular space and how that informed his metaphysics or whatever you want to call it later on. Yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's from Whit- Whitville, North Carolina, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whitville. Or I yeah. don't know how people say it, but yeah. Uh, down next to Wilmington where I lived for a few years, but yeah, that's great. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. I'm trying to do that. I'm 
very late, but it is still happening. I'm gonna, I'm going to edit a cluster for Post Forty Five on CD Write. Nice, yeah. very cool. Yeah, there's some incredible essays coming down the line for that, and I feel really bad because I've never been as late for something on that as I have. Yeah, I think I I definitely reached the moment where I was like, oh, I'm doing, I'm actually doing a lot, and I'm I think the thing that I'm also really I'm really, really excited for is that I've recently started, well, not recently. So in the fall, Cody Rose, Providence and I went to the Beinecke um, to research and transcribe the remaining um, poems that hadn't been, that, that had been living in the, in Bez Miller, Bez Miller Brigham's archive. Um, yeah. And so we got there and we were both kind of like, oh, this is kind of intimidating. <laughs> I'm really glad I'm here with you because yeah, uh, the Yale is, Yale is so, the Yale campus is so um, what it is. And, uh, yeah, we sat there and like, there's just hundreds of poems and there's so much work. I didn't even touch her novels. Like she was just so prolific. And so we're working on transcribing those and also C.T. Salazar has just like joined our sort of like editorial group and like he has like a ton of archival knowledge that will be very helpful because there's so few dates and so many different versions of all of her work and yeah so well, we're gonna see what comes of that. Oh I'm super excited about that that's really cool I did not know that so that's yeah that's that's, that's top secret and not anymore <laughs> but we're yeah. We're giving a pan. We're going to be on a panel about it at the Typo Fest that Adam Clay is putting together. Very cool. So Where's that? I think it's going to be like just in Northwest Arkansas, like Fayetteville, cool. I think. Yeah, nice. yeah. And that's in April, and we're going to go back to Yale in March because we like went in and I just like took as many pictures as I could, like as you do. You get archive fever. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And we're supposed to be transcribing it over the long, cold winter, but it actually is really kind of overwhelming and a disorganized, a very disorganized archive for a lot of reasons. And, um, and we're kind of like, oh, we need to go back. But that, that's fine. Like, I'd love to have another encounter. So, yeah. More, yeah. more time spent in the archives, too. That's yeah. always like, that's really fun. And I also find that stuff to be super inspiring, almost even more so than like, some other things that I think will be inspiring that are just not, but like, you know, anytime that you get to dig around in the archives of someone and, and look at stuff that, you know, feel so intimate, you know, that other people don't have access to. And then you're able to also bring that into the public. That'll be very, very cool. Do you guys have a publisher for that yet? Or are you um, just in the early stages of it? In the early stages, I'm really like, you know, chomping at the bit to figure that end of things out. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think there should be real interest in that, particularly it's like, it's one of CD Wright's, you know, projects um, that we are sort of like, we've inherited through this kind of like co long, complicated story, <laughs> which involves me getting the dog that I have. No, no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and annulet so it actually it's all kind of like it all kind of goes together but <laughs> yeah now I have my dog Dinah and this new project <laughs> oh my gosh that's hilarious yeah the, yeah that's so funny <laughs> yeah I, I I mean I've got pets people inherit pets in strange ways but that is pretty cool that's awesome yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> well cool um 
do you mind to read some for us before we go? just a short little poem <laughs> because it, it has an, a moment of accent and joke in it which I feel is something that I care about <laughs> <laughs> okay um, this is chimney pale pink brick tall it's stripped no wood or outer frame how I cackle when you wink say debris of debris Fire striking the person aglow by the fire outside it. The chimney calumny I drive by as close as I'll come. Barren nightfall, you know what they say, no house, so no home. Beautiful, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> Weird little friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, now your work takes on so much more you know, interest, significance. I've always really like enjoyed your work. And every time I see it, I'm always uh, excited to read it. And now I know so much more about you and your process and things like that. And uh, thank <laughs> you so much. Freewheeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so sick. It's awesome. Thank you. No, yeah. I've enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed talking with you, Alicia. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. <laughs>